Well, it seems a bit early, but it is about that time. Merry Christmas. Perhaps it's a little too early to say that. We are, um, we're really pumped for Christmas this year as a family because we are, uh, as a whole Loy tribe, migrating down to Florida and going to Disney World, uh, which is something we've been planning for like three years and saving up. And we're really blessed because we have a bunch of family and friends that work for Disney, so we actually got hooked up like on Disney property with free hopper passes, and, and it's going to be awesome, but we made the mistake in a moment of weakness like six months ago leaking that information to our oldest daughter, Paige, and I say moment of weakness because she was like, I don't remember who leaked it, but in this moment of like tantrum or she was fixated on something and crying, we wanted to make her happy, and so I can't remember if it was Megan or I. But we were like, hey, Paige, guess where we're going in six months? She's like, where? We're going to Disney World. And of course, you know, the kids freak out. And it was awesome. And it quickly became kind of our trump card as parents because we knew, like, anytime the girls were fighting or they were fixated on something or there was a tantrum or anything, we just had to bring up Disney World and they'd be pumped. And that worked for like four months. But for like the last two, uh, you can just see like the heaviness. And the depression, like, setting in. Every time we, we say Disney and we bring it up, like, she literally, like, her posture changes. And, she, and so now she just asked me the other day, she goes, Dad, why is Christmas never going to get here? Like, we're never going to Disney World, you know? And so now we're trying to, like, assure her, no, we really are going. It's almost here. But it's just like that agonizing wait, you know, of, of Christmas coming and waiting as kids. And I venture to guess, you know, if we were to compare notes as, as adults, like, our Christmas experiences are probably very different what you do on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day and who comes over and who doesn't come over and what you eat and all that stuff. Um, But as kids, I think that's probably a common experience that all of us had, that agonizing wait for Christmas to finally be able to open up our presents. In our house, we had, like, the uh, the calendar with the pieces of chocolates, you know, one for every day. And so, like, every day you could open it and take a piece of chocolate, which is, like, a great idea, but visually you can see just how slow the month is going. And it's just like purgatory for kids, you know, just waiting and waiting and waiting. Christmas feels like it's never going to come. Of course, the beauty of it is that Christmas always does come, but it's just that waiting and waiting. Well, actually, it's just this dynamic of of waiting and waiting and just the agonizing wait uh, for Christmas that set up the very first Christmas. And for generations and generations and generations, uh, when it came to the Jewish people, there was always this remnant of people, the very faithful people who got up every single day in anticipation of the coming, not of Santa Claus, uh, but of the Messiah. And while many, many people uh, walked away from their faith, in fact, you know what, over those generations, 99.99999% of God's people, the Jewish people, never got to see that promise fulfilled. And during that time, many, many people walked away from their faith and they bailed on it. Or they grew tired of waiting and they grew discouraged when their prayers weren't answered. Even though many people did that, there was always this remnant of faithful people who got up every single day and lived as if Christmas was coming. So this morning, as we begin our very first Christmas series as a church, uh, which we've titled Surprised by Hope, I want to introduce you to two of those people. And so if you have a Bible, we're going to Luke chapter 1. Uh, if you have a smartphone, there's an application you've got to get if you don't have it already called YouVersion. Um, if you go in your marketplace and search Bible, YouVersion will be one of the first apps that pops up. It's a free app. Uh, it's the Bible on your phone. If you don't have a Bible, uh, just shoot your hand up. We'd love to give you one. Um, but if you don't have YouVersion, it's a great application. Um, so that's where we're going. And while you're going there, Luke chapter 1, um, here's why this is so relevant for us this morning is that at some point in your journey 
as a follower of Christ, you're going to experience something that is common to all of us who follow Jesus. And it's something that you're going to experience. In fact, if you haven't experienced this, you can plan on it. Um, it's something that you're going to experience not just once. In fact, it's going to be something that you probably will experience time and time again. And it's this experience of feeling like God is so distant. Like God is so silent. Like God is so inactive in your life. And eventually you're going to come to a point where you're going to ask some very hard questions of yourself and your faith. You're going to ask, why am I still doing this? Right? Why am I still attending? Why am I still believing? Right? Why am I still giving? And why am I still serving? Is there really anything to this? Am I just doing this because this is something that my parents taught me growing up? Am I just doing this because of fear that if I don't keep doing it, something bad is going to happen to me? Is this really just more of a superstition than something I really believe? At some point in all of our lives, there are going to be seasons, there are going to be periods, perhaps even years of your life, where you're going to ask, what am I really getting out of this? Is there really anything to this? Is this really going anywhere? And and the thing is, is if you've ever struggled with thoughts like that, if you've ever experienced that, perhaps you're experiencing it right now, you need to know that the Christmas story is for you. And in fact, the two people that we're going to look at this morning, the story of Christmas uh, through their lens, um, in many ways, it's my story and it's your story. So Luke chapter 1, verse 5 is where we're beginning this morning. And it says this. It says, In the time of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. All right, so the author is basically telling us that these two are, are preacher's kids. Right, their dad was a, a pastor. Their, their grandfather was a pastor. Their great-great-great-great-grandfather was a pastor. They came from this long line of pastors and what we would call like religious holy leaders. It says this in verse 6, Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. So this is a pretty big deal. Whenever the Bible says that somebody is righteous, it's really just the biblical way of saying that when God looks down on these two people, he says they're doing it right. Now you want to know what I desire of, of my people? You want to know what it looks like to live in a way that honors me? You need to watch and look at the lives of these two because they're doing it right. Right, so our story prompts a question, right? Zachariah and Elizabeth, uh, you're doing it right. You're living a life that honors God. God seems to be very happy with the way that you're living. He's pleased with you. How's that working out for you? And in verse 7, it says, But, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. Now, to fully appreciate the gravity of this, you have to understand that I don't mean any disrespect to ladies, but, but this, in this particular culture, this particular time, uh, at that time, in many ways, having kids was about all that women were considered good for. Right? They had no political standing. Um, they rarely were allowed to work. They were almost always uneducated. And there was this religious stigma that God chose who could have kids and who couldn't. And that God chose which babies would live and which babies would die. It had a very high mortality rate at that time. And so there was this religious perception that despite doing everything right and seeking to honor God and doing all the right things, that God's, God had cursed Elizabeth, that God had chosen for her not to have kids, which would be a very bitter pill to swallow when you're seeking to do the right thing through your younger years, through your middle years, and through your latter years. In fact, the statement uh, ends with this. And they were both very old or very advanced in years. So in other words, for this particular couple, 
it was over. Right? They had missed their chance. It wasn't going to happen for them. And we find out later in the story that they had prayed. They had prayed hard. They had prayed the desperate prayers of couples who desperately desired to have kids. And God had apparently said no for her entire life. And the thing that, that really makes their faith, Zachariah and Elizabeth, so extraordinary is that they were living their lives really based on a promise that had been given 2,000 years earlier. Now, I know when you got up this morning and you got ready to come to church, or you're thinking about coming to church, that you were really hoping and thinking, man, I really hope Aaron lectures on history today, because that'd be awesome. I know that that's what you're thinking. I'm really in tune to what this community wants. So since the demand is so high for that, um, now I know that some of you get really excited about the historical bits and that kind of thing, but there's also a reason that most of us did not major in theology or history. Um, so what I want to do, though, is in less than five minutes, I want to give you a survey of the Old Testament. Because to really understand the Christmas story, you have to know what set it up. So less than five minutes, I promise. So 2,000 years previous to when Zechariah and Elizabeth had lived, God apparently had appeared to Abraham. And God had said something very specific to Abraham that was really at the root of the Jewish faith. And this is, this is what uh, God said to Abraham in Genesis. It says, I will make you into a great nation. All right, which, okay, actually happened. I will make you, uh, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great. And okay, that happened too. Most of you had heard of Abraham before you got here this morning. So that was 4,000 years ago. But here's, here's where it starts to break down a little bit. And you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you. And for a while that happened. And I will curse those who curse you. And we're still trying to figure that one out. Um, and all peoples, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you, Abraham. All right, and so this root idea was at just the core of the Jewish faith. And this is why they believed that God was not through with them as a people, that, that something better was on the horizon, that God was not finished, that the best was yet to come. And if you know the story, you know that Abraham did have a son who had a son who had a bunch of sons, and they went to Egypt, and they became a nation, became Israel. And then they, they moved, and God gave them the promised land, and things really started to take off. And, and they, had, they, they grew into a kingdom. A people, this Israel, this, this kingdom. And then you had, you had kings and, and David, and, and then you had this golden age of Solomon. And it looked like God was just doing what he had planned to do all along. He was building up this incredible nation. They were going to be this incredible blessing to the rest of the world. Right? And if there's any time when it looked like God was finally going to fulfill this promise, despite generations of disappointment, despite generations of people who had prayed for the Messiah, who had waited to finally for, the, for Israel to be a blessing to all people, despite the fact that this seemed to be the time, the golden age, when God could do it and would do it. He didn't. And it seemed if there were ever a time to do it, it was then, because after that, things fell apart, and they fell apart really quickly. There were a lot of wars following. The nation split. There were good kings. There were bad kings. Uh, they were conquered. Most of the time, they, they did not have an army. Uh, there were 70 years when they went into exile. And from the time of Abraham... To the time of Zechariah and Elizabeth, get this, the nation of Israel changed hands over 25 times. So every time a different conquering army rolled in, they just annihilated uh, the Israelites and dominated them. And slowly but surely, they lost all their wealth, they lost all their influence, uh, they, they didn't have an army most of that time. I mean, they were just at the will of all these conquering peoples. And so this idea 
that God was actually going to bless the world through this nation was growing more and more bleak. Right? It's not that it just couldn't happen at this point. It, it just seemed that, that there's absolutely no way that it could happen at all. Any international clout that they had at one time, it's gone. Or they became less and less a player on the world stage until they weren't even on the radar anymore. They're just this tiny, dusty little part of the Roman Empire. No influence. The bottom of the barrel, influentially. And then, finally, to add insult to injury, uh, 65 B.C., Pompey the Great, the great Roman general, marched into Jerusalem, captured the city, walked into the temple, pushed past the temple guards, walked in, pushed past the temple priests, and walked straight into the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies is this place that was so sacred to the Jewish faith. Or this place where they actually believed that God physically dwelled. Or this place where, they, where only the high priest could go once a year. And they believed that anybody who walked in uninvited, God would strike down dead. And that Roman general pushed past all the priests as they gasped as he walked right into the Holy of Holies, looked around, and walked out, and God did nothing. And Rude's, the word just spread throughout Jerusalem, and the implication was clear. That Jupiter, the Roman god, was greater than Yahweh, Israel's god. And many, many at that time walked away from their faith. And Zechariah would have been just a boy when that happened. And his dad was undoubtedly a priest, just as Elizabeth was. And so he would remember that day when his dad came home and just tore his robes and went into mourning because the Holy of Holies had been desecrated by this flippant Roman general with total disregard for their traditions, for their beliefs, for their warnings, who walked into the Holy of Holies and walked out, and God did nothing. And that despite all that, with that in his background, Zechariah would choose to enter into the priesthood, to serve God with his whole life, as Elizabeth would, and he would remember that day and that emotion of wondering, why doesn't God come through for his people? Why does God sit back and do nothing? During that time, many, many people walked away from their faith. Discouraged. Many of them integrated into Greek and Roman life, and they just walked away. They abandoned God, but not Zachariah and Elizabeth. And if we would have came to them at, at that time and we would have said, you know what, guys? It's been a nice run. We've done our best, but you know what? It's a myth. It's not real. Sure, there was the promise to Abraham, and some of that kind of came true. There was a nation, and yeah, his name was made great. I'm sorry, but the nation of Israel is never going to be what it was before. It's never going to be big like that again. And apparently, it's been 700 years, it seems like God walked out on us a long time ago, if there is a God at all. So you know what? Enjoy your remaining years that you have left, because God doesn't care. And if we would have said that, we would have been wrong. Because the reason, the very reason that Luke begins his account with this story is that finally, after thousands of years and after 700 years of seemingly silence, where God has seemed to be inactive, God was finally ushering in this promise in which the nation of Israel would be a blessing to all people. He was finally making good on that promise made so long ago. And the reason that this story is so relevant to us and so important for us is that every single one of us are going to have those moments in our life, in our faith, where we wonder, is God silent Is God inactive? Does God even care? And the answer on Christmas is a resounding yes. Because the story is not over. Get this. In verse 8, it says this. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. 
And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, and I love this because this is like the standard angel response, you know? Like if you read the Old Testament and New Testament, like they just kind of get this out of the way on the front end. It's like, do not fear. Like always. Right? And they have to say this because when people see angels, they're afraid. Very, very afraid, right? And Zachariah is afraid. And get this, like Zachariah is afraid and he doesn't even have anything to be afraid about. I mean, imagine if the angel showed up to you. You know, like he's actually a good person. Right? And yet he's terrified. And, and, you know, an angel just shows up and people just start confessing stuff. You know, they fall on their face. They think they see God. It's like, I, I didn't mean to. I didn't know. I promised from this point forward. And the angel's just like, shut up. I've got good news. Just chill out for a moment. And so here's what the angel says in verse 13. He says, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. And you are to call him John. And this John wouldn't just be any John. Right, this John would become a famous John. He'd be known as John the, the Baptist. This is how the whole story begins. In four, verse 14, he will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he was born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. Of course, why would he need to bring them back? Because many of them in his 700 years had failed, had walked away. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And then look at this. Verse 18, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? Now it gets very diplomatic here, men. Uh, guys, you can tell he's been married for a long time, and he's managed to do that. There's something to be learned here. He says, for I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. <laughs> I mean, you love that. You can't make this stuff up, you know. He's like, oh, well, let's just, you know, I don't know if this is going to get around. I hear that these things get written down every now and then. Um, I'm old, and she's, yeah, well along in years. Right? I love it. In other words, though, what he's saying is he's saying, okay, I'm with you, all right? And, and I'm glad, I'm really comforted to hear that, that our prayers have been heard, but I'm thinking you're a little late. See, we had prayed for children pretty fervently through our 20s. And we even kept praying through our 30s. And you know what, for the heck of it, we kept praying through our 40s. We almost stopped praying in our 50s. And now I'm old, and Elizabeth is old too. And the angel says this. He says, what do you mean? How do you know it's going to happen? I am Gabriel. I am Gabriel. I'm an angel. You are talking to an angel, and you're wondering how in the world this is going to happen? Right? Verse 19, the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent, not able to speak until this day happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true. And this is my favorite part. Get this, my favorite part of the whole story. Which will come true at their appointed time. Wait, wait, wait. So you're telling me that this has been a part of God's plan 
all along. You're telling me that, that God had this day marked on his calendar? You're telling me for 700 years he watched as people grew discouraged and abandoned all hope and walked away from the Lord their God? That this was set in stone, that this was a part of the plan? Yeah. You're telling me that, that God's not inactive? That God would never, never stop listening? That God has been at work carrying this into completion from the beginning? At the appointed time. Verse 21, meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. And the best part about this is this was just a warm-up act. I mean, God was just getting going. This was the pre-concert concert, right? Like seeing Nickelback open up for you too, right? And you're like, really? You think that was good? No, really. You think that was good? You think that was good? You have not seen anything yet. I am just getting started. You have not seen anything And this was step one of finally God's plan coming to fruition. Finally, the day had come that God would usher in this Messiah and bless all peoples. And here's how our story concludes this morning and how our next story begins. In verse 26, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. I mean, this is our story, isn't it? And this is our dilemma, right? Do we stay or do we go? Do we keep believing or do we just walk away? Or do we do the hard work of seeking to be blameless and righteous before God and live a life that honors him? Or do we just start looking out for me and mine? Right? Do we give or do we take? Do we live generously and selflessly or do we just start looking out for number one? Right? Do we lean in and do the hard work of following Jesus together as a church, even when things get hard, even when things get messy, right? even when there's conflict, or the moment that it's hard, the moment we're disappointed or frustrated, do we walk away and bail? Right? Do, we, do we resolve to maintain our integrity right? in, in the classroom, in the marketplace, or do we do the easy thing and take the shortcut to, to get ahead? You see, in every generation, there are those that walk away. Every generation, there are those who bail. Every generation, there are those who are frustrated when God doesn't answer prayers right when we want him to or in the ways that we want him to when we want him to. But in every generation, there is a remnant of faithful people who resolve that regardless of what we see God do or not do on our behalf, we're going to do right by God and take him at his word and live a life that honors him. Right? There are always those who, who decide that they're going to be faithful and wait for God to move on his watch Right in his timing, in accordance with his plan at the appointed time. And the good news is this, is that if this is your experience, right, the, the, that, that discouragement of not seeing God move in the ways that you wanted to always, right, having to choose to be faithful, even when things get hard, even when God seems inactive and silent and still, the good news is it's normal, right? Welcome to the common experience 
for those who choose to do the right thing and to worship God and to be faithful. Right? And Christmas, Christmas is a reminder right, that God's not finished, that your faith in God is not in vain, that it's not replaced. It's a reminder that God, even when he seems silent, that God is not still. Right? That even when he seems still, that he is not inactive. That even when it seems that God is inactive, that it has nothing to do with his plans for this world or this, his plans for your life. And the best part is that Christmas, Christmas is a reminder that for you, your faith in God and your hope is not in vain. Because we serve a God who always keeps his promises, always keeps his promises at the appointed time. Let's pray. Father God, I can't help but thank you that I get to live and we get to live at a time in the post-Christmas era that we get to live each and every day with the certainty that Christmas has come and that Christmas is coming. But Father God, I do know that for myself that there are seasons and there are periods and sometimes even years of our lives and my life as well where we have that gut check moment where we ask, is this really worth it? What am I getting out of this? God, do you even care? Are you listening? Are you inactive? Because you seem still, you seem silent. And God, I, I ask that you would just ignite that flame within our hearts and give us the courage to press in and to lean in especially when it's hard. God, that you would give us the courage to accept the challenge, the challenge of whether or not we will be a part of that remnant, or that challenge whether we will be that unique teenager, that unique college student, that unique person in the marketplace who will not compromise their integrity for short-term gain, or that we would be uh, that unique couple who decides that I'm going to stick it out and I'm going to fight it out and fight for my marriage even when it's hard, despite what I see around me, despite what I see my friends doing despite how easy it would seem to walk away and to bail and just start over. God, I ask that you would raise up from this community, in this church, those unique men and women who resolve to walk blamelessly and righteously before you, knowing that none of us are perfect, knowing that all of us are sinful and all of us need your grace every step of the way. But God, people would find delight in doing the right thing by you, would find their delight in you, 